Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Hello and welcome to My Ultimate Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by Zachary F.H. Dean. Welcome to the show, Zach. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, the F.H. Oh, glad, stands glad for, here, stands for effing hell, right? Like a real cool mid-2000s middle name. You know, I think you'd fit right in in the Marvel Ultimate scene. But this is My Ultimate Year, where we go through the, the entire... Marvel Ultimate Year Comics, and today uh, it's episode 15, okay? This is our 15th month of covering the Ultimate Universe. We are covering today literally everything. Uh, We're going to talk about every comic ever published because Zach crammed this puppy full of comics and of titles. This is a loaded roster. Until, like, the end. We we don't have this many again for, like, another year. Well, Um, it's also just more series so because it feels like a lot more. Um, because you have these weird, you have Ultimate X-Men, Fantastic Four spinoffs, which then, at the moment, in the mid-2000s, I'm sure it was a fun idea to be like, we'll do Ultimate X-Men, Fantastic Four number one, and then the second issue, flip the title, <laughs> give Ultimate <laughs> yeah. Fantastic Four first billing. When you're reading on Marvel Unlimited or digitally, the worst idea. Just well, the been, worst idea. It, yeah, it's kind of like that when they did Marvel versus DC, and it was like, all right, you get to call one of them Marvel versus DC, but the next one has to be called DC versus Marvel. Uh-huh. Like, we each get to go first at least once, except there's no reason to do it here. So, it, yeah, it does make you have to flip around and find... And they're both number one, right? Yeah. It's Ultimate Fantastic no, no, Four no, X-Men I, number are one they? and Ultimate X-Men Fantastic Four number one. Is it? Okay, yeah. that's how it's... Yeah, I have it written wrong in the... Actually, I got updated in the sheet. No, I feel like you have it written right. I feel like you corrected their mistake. I would give yeah. you credit on that one. You know, this reminds me of something. It's mildly unrelated, but I realized on Comixology, I was reading Daredevil through Comixology because I was catching up on the Chip Zdarsky run. And what mm-hmm. Comixology does with annuals is it places them by release date when they came out. So if you're looking at Daredevil, the 2019 series, you know, when it started, after issue 21, the annual comes next. On Marvel Unlimited, yeah. you have to click out, go find the annual. You don't know to yeah, do that segregated. unless you're following a reading order, <clears throat> comicbookherald.com. Um, comicbookreadingorder.com. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to come to your house and I'm going to sock you. It's my I'm favorite sock you right though. in the arm. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> Bothers me so much. <laughs> they don't even get ad money, doesn't that? That, that should we get them? Just... A, should we? Should we reach out to competitive sites? I guess you should reach out to competitive sites and say, "Hey, can you sponsor our pods? It will drive my host, the founder of ComicBookGirl.com, absolutely." <laughs> I'm insane. just saying they're just doing it for the the love of the game too. And man, they're like they're right there nipping at your heels. Oh, you mean they don't have ads on their site? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're ad free. They're just they're just doing it for. Just to get under your skin. Listen, we it's can secret, maybe talk about this on Variant, just... but I got to say, <laughs> a comic site, there's a there's a vibe. First off, I guarantee they're monetizing. Why else are they doing it? But first off, like comic sites that have this like money is bad, this like weird like Gen X like sellout vibe. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, sure. what are you doing? What are you? Why are you doing that? And then there's this like there's this refrain of like, 
oh, we just, you know, we're just doing it. There's no money in this. And that's why there's problems. And that's why criticism isn't. It's like, then try to make some money. <laughs> Not it that it's weird. easy, but like there's this, there's, there's two sides of the coin where it's like, we're resistant, no ads, they're gross. I get it, right? I get it. Mm-hmm. But then at the same side, it's like, well, yeah, and now you can't pay your writers because you're not making any money. Well, like, what do you? What well, do you think is yeah, I mean, they, I'm teasing. They, they, comicbookreadingorder.com is a very different side. I don't think they they make money on it. They don't have any ads. They don't have a Patreon or anything. But they they are like, hey, if you want to read literally every issue ever, here's the order of everything, which is you know a, uh, a very different. I mean, function not really. From, I think you're conflating you them with. The, there's a reading order site that is good. Okay, no, and that is right the CMRO by yeah, run by different. Travis Starnes. That is no, a no, very I'm, I'm... good database of going through yeah. like the entirety of Marvel history, right? And I have made my peace with that site exists and it is very good. <laughs> Travis has done an amazing yeah. job creating a database, but my site, Comic Herald, is going to be a little more curated. It's going to be a little more specialized yeah. with a lot more editorial comment, right? Like that's that's where I find a separation. The site you're describing is is mostly just like Reddit lists copied and pasted. And it's not particularly good a lot of times. Okay, so you don't get the editorial curation. Um, no, no, there's and you no, don't there's have no, the no, I'm, you I'm don't have the database right quality this, of the CMR. This is the one of like every issue. You know, it's literally like, all right, now you read Green Lantern seventy six through eighty nine, and now you read Phantom Stranger twelve through twenty. You know, it's like if you want to read DC, here's every order, every issue in order. Blah blah blah. Um. Anyway, totally different purposes, and I'm just doing it to razz you. But I think yeah, but I'm gonna call you on that because Zach in the power rankings of good reading order sites. Yes, I don't even know if they're in my top five. Oh, they're number two for me. If I if I use a different one, it's comic book. It's easy to use. use, It's a good layout. It's a good design. But I'm saying in terms of quality, in terms of quality, I actually I end up going to that site when I have those like psychopath ambitions of like yeah, I'm just gonna start at the new fifty two and I'm gonna read every issue. You know, it's good for that when you have and then you soon realize that you're insane and that there's no <laughs> it's not homework and you're gonna die someday and uh, you should probably do better things than try to read every issue of the new 52 i don't know um, we do have a cool series on cbh right now the old 52 looking at fun. the 10-year yeah, anniversary of dc's yeah. new 50 because vishal uh gul who who wrote this for our site he did do the new 52 journey and did read absolutely yeah. everything at least well, the he, launch series getting getting paid for it though right you got paid to no this way he, he did it before i talked to him about writing the series so i don't th- oh, know okay. if at that point he was all getting right, paid well. i mean we don't get paid to read all these marvel ultimate comics or my marvel this year comics right you do it for yeah, the love of comics in so many ways you get paid a little bit i didn't get paid anything i don't know that's that's uh, like uh that's like wipe your butt money what we get <laughs> we we barely get paid <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I, I just burn our Patreon money each month for uh, for warmth. That's that's how little it works. <laughs> no, no, of course. Thank you very much to everybody over at Patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year who supports these shows. Uh, of course, we do a companion podcast, My Marvelous Year. That is the main show where we go through Earth 616 um, through curated lists year by year. We are up to, uh, we're midway through 1989 in the recording process right now. And in the Marvel Ultimate landscape right now, we are in the mid-2000s, 2006-ish range. Um, You might get some jokes and allusions to Civil War, for example, in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man. But yeah, today we're going to talk Spidey, X-Men, Fantastic Four crossover, and then some Fantastic Four. I will say up front, my general take on all of this, Zach, was Mm -hmm. I probably said this in previous episodes, but like I'm just continually shocked how much more excited I am for everything Mark Miller related than anything yeah. else going on in the Ultimate yeah, Universe. Because his Fantastic Four is just like, 
that's the thing that I was like, I'm actually excited to read these yep. again. Um, there's a reason and there's a purpose and there's ideas behind these. Whereas with Spider-Man, it's, you know, it's that thing now where if people are like, hey, I'm rewatching Friends for like the third time. To me, it's like, why? Why are you doing that? And there's a comfort level, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a nostalgia. Sure. Um, but it is just like, I'm like, there's so many new things all the time to catch mm-hmm. up on. I'm just perpetually behind on everything. Um, why on earth would you rewatch French? That's what rereading Ultimate Spider-Man feels like to me. You know, it's like, I loved this the first time. And rereading it again, I'm just like, it's just, there's like s- such limited joy. And I know I'm beating a dead horse on this. And it's obviously like, Clearly, at this point, it's like, stop, get someone else to do it. You're not going to enjoy it. Um, but I just, I don't know, Ultimate Spider-Man, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if it's actually quite good. Because I, I maybe have talked about this, but like, if you had just said, rank Ultimate Spider-Man on your best comics ever list without ever rereading it, just based on my first impressions, I would yeah. have this thing in like my top 50 comics of all time. I know you, I, th- I think, don't you? Already, maybe I do. You already have maybe I do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and now, rereading it, I'm like... I top 300 58 okay yeah and that was like my love for it initially was was that high absolutely um but now rereading it i am just like see I, I mean, what it, you have it, it, it just doesn't stand enough, out you have it like well above ultimates would you have it above ultimates now in the reread you have ultimates at 118 i mean it's a little weird because it's you're talking about this massive massive run um yeah. if you said you here's have... read 12 issues of ultimate spider-man or read the ultimates again i'd read ultimates again yeah yeah purely, purely on that criteria um, I would I would want to read Ultimates again. I think Ultimate Spider-Man, it's a great entry point totally. to relatively totally. new Spider-Man fans. Like, yeah. if you've never read a lot of Spider-Man or, comics or before. superhero comics. Yeah, fans. yeah. There are pe- people who have not read superhero comics or Marvel. Like me, this was, like, my entry point into Marvel comics a while ago. And it's a good Marvel, it, it's a good Marvel entry, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think on that, on that basis, it is excellent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was, I mean, this was probably, it wasn't the first Spider-Man comics I'd read. I'd read the Stan Lee stuff before, or Stan and Steve and John Romita and all that before this point. Um, but it was definitely the most Spider-Man comics I'd ever read in a row. And just, and obviously then just the cadence of like, oh, like modern comics fly. Like you can read these Bendis issues so fast, even though he writes a gazillion words. Um, that stuff was super appealing. But now I, yeah. now when I look at it and I'm like, well, what is he actually doing with these stories and with these character introductions, they're just, it's a very good baseline consistency, but there are so few moments of standout stuff, you know? And I think like of we ideas. talk. Yeah. Well, what I, what I was thinking of reading these, because in these issues we get um, Silver Sable and her, what are they called? And her Man Wild Pack. War? Wild Pack. Um, we get Morbius. We get more Moon Knight and Punisher. And I was just thinking. Not to forget Deadpool. If, yes, right, and Deadpool. Deadpool's what really made me think this. Has Bendis ever made a hero or villain in Ultimate Spider-Man anywhere near as interesting as their 616 counterpoint? <laughs> yeah, right. Besides besides Spider-Man himself, which I think he has a good take on, I think that's the strength of the series, is the teen I, Spider-Man aspect. Yeah, I would say Green there's Goblin. one example. There's one example where I would Green. say actually yes. Okay, what? Uh, Kitty Pryde. I would actually say yep. he does a really nice job with Kitty Pride yeah. by virtue of this new thing that, like, the relationship with Spider-Man. Yeah, that's actually yeah, yeah. new. That's Which I actually think we praised additive. a lot when that came in, right? Because that is a brand new thing that you would never see in Six One Six, and it's good here. And I think, but I'm thinking like of the all the reimagination, reimagining of characters in Ultimate Spider-Man, all the villains that you bring in, almost all of them are just like kind of just like the Six One Six version, except like 
maybe smoothed out to be less interesting. But worse, like, yeah, just, no, it's it's true. In, in most cases, with the exception, and I don't know if worse, he's better or worse, but I think the Green Goblin here. I like the Green Goblin. I like this Norman Osborn, and I like the arc we got with him. But that's think, but that's Spider-Man universe stuff. Like when he brings in cameo type stuff. Yeah. And we're going to talk, like, let, let, let's just start from the top here and let's just kind of run through them because I, I had the same reaction here because you get it. The run becomes more cameo heavy as Spider-Man progresses, you know, and that's obviously mm-hmm. something we've dealt with. I do think, too, like, I'm being a bit harsh on it in terms of having reread it, but it is like once you, I don't know what exactly the cutoff point, probably post-Gwyn, actually, probably post-Carnage Gwyn, it enters this phase of really not knowing what to do. And it's yeah. kind of just spinning its wheels. It's kind of it's bringing in all these cameos. I don't think Ultimate Spider-Man gets good again, ironically, until Ultimatum. Um, and then it and then it is forced to change a little bit. Okay, and well, obviously, I won't spoil anything about what's coming because that event is is a ways down the road. Um, but okay, so we start off like you said with the Silver Sable and the Wild Pack story. It is that thing too where it's like. This could have been an issue, <laughs> you know. It's like, That's, you know, it's like this too. could have been it's, an email. It's like this didn't even trade. I never think that like about comics where I'm just like it, it. It's very rare for me to be like this should have been fewer issues. It's almost always the opposite where I'm just like this could have been. It, you should have expanded this to like three issues and really yeah. like dug down on this. But no, with this, I was just like, man, there's no reason for this. Like the Silver Sable is hunting Spider-Man for Roxon, and then. Uh, accidentally kidnaps Flash Thompson and then they finally get Spider-Man and then Roxon is just like the whole reason Roxon is putting out a hit not even a hit he just wants to talk to Spider-Man because Spider-Man keeps incidentally saving his businesses right which like be- best Thompson. way to have that conversation is hire a Merc right. group to capture that hero yeah I- instead of asking right I mean you know they do go to point out that he's pretty incompetent but it's like incompetent in a way that you wouldn't think he's that like ruthless i also it's, i also don't know if in marvel uh 616 if sir roxon is you know the big bad oil corporation i don't know yeah. if there's a mr roxon in like it's kind of like having a mr british petroleum you know i'm yeah, like right. <laughs> i'm like that's that's goofy just let it be the company name but yeah Please, you're right my father was mr british Pro- petroleum i'm bp <laughs> <laughs> you can call right. me bp <laughs> yeah Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I thought that was goofy. And then Silver Sable and the Wild Pack, again, like, this is a character that I think you and I have talked about, like, a relatively tough sell b- beyond a minor supporting role in the best of times, I think. We, we just read her, I think, her either her intro or her first big appearance. In, in, um, in Amazing in the, with the, uh, McFarlane. The mainline. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. And, like, infinitely more interesting. And she's not even that interesting there. Like, she's fine. I, I was into the silver sable enough in the the 616 stuff mm-hmm. but like here it's just like the nazi hunter thing matters nothing here which right? is her like, best we, trait <laughs> right that that <laughs> right. is interesting that's like yeah. the modern day nazi hunter which you know is a tougher sell in 2005 than it was in 1980 right 1980 you're 40 years removed from world war ii 2005 you're 65 years removed and you're starting to be like well and we you, thought nazis are, were are gone you, how na- how naive were we 2005 us right right yeah well in the yeah sure right but you know you you can transition that into a different more interesting modern premise but this doesn't and it doesn't really touch on that so she basically just becomes like what's the difference between her and Electra they're just both like yeah. one's white and one's red well she's got a wild <laughs> they're both pack. just kind of yeah she's got goons who work for her who are kind of stupid who also don't have personalities you know one so. difference I will say is Mark Bagley really leans into her cleavage. In a way oh that the, actually, as covers. an artist, I don't think he, that's not actually what he does with most characters. But for some reason with Silver Sable, he was like, this is going to be her calling card is giant cleavage windows. And, and we're going to scream like, this is a, a mid-2000s comic <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they, they there's one of the covers that has her on it with like it's like three quarters of her breast are like billowing out of her top. Uh-huh. Right? It's just like too much of her breasts are, are pouring out of the top of this this top to be like, oh, you don't have nipples. A normal woman's nipples would be obvious here. Somehow you were <laughs> trying to to do this without uh, you know <laughs> pretending this woman doesn't have nipples somewhere. Yeah. But then like. But that's nipples not are an inconvenience, I've always said, right? Like, yeah, I mean, nipples it's are frustrating when that happens with, like, Electra here. I, Black Cat, it almost makes sense with. Like, Black Cat is a kind of a sexual character. I mean, we neither of us like how Bagley draws Black Cat, but at least, like, it's some oh, of black, the I mean, Black Cat's sexuality, yeah, has, has absolutely it is built been... built in. Electra and Silver Sable? No, it's nothing. There's no, there's no part to it except that they're women, and women are just naturally sexualized whether or not that's part of their personality or not like, and obviously we talk about you know it's not just bagley here right like this is very oh, much no. the 2000s marvel art style uh, especially yeah. in the ultimate universe but like bagley really leans into it here in a way that i found i guess i found it noticeable too because it's like there's not a lot going on in the story that i'm invested in so i'm like what yeah. else is happening here and visually it's it's not a lot of exciting stuff yeah i mean i the silver sable stuff i was pretty checked out on um then and we move into the, the, a deadpool arc yeah, which is which is most interesting, I would say, because of how uninteresting Bendis makes Deadpool. Like, yeah. he absolutely pre, sucks like, the life out of this character that is a huge hit. I don't know that much about Deadpool, like, reading Deadpool comics. So I don't know when he... Because I, I know he didn't start out as the, like, the fourth wall breaking, Merc with a mouth, kind of, like, smart-alecky, almost, like, comedy character. No, right? and that's, that's, why, he, that's why when Big Rob L... Uh, you know, brags about creating Deadpool. Everybody's like, actually, no, that was really right. it was like yeah. Fabian Nicieza and Joe <laughs> Kelly because they did it in later comics where he actually got the personality that people associate okay. with the character. So, but was that personality here by 2005? I don't really know. Oh when yeah, that absolutely. I mean, the okay. the biggest right. run that that cemented it was 1997. Okay, with Joe okay. Kelly. Okay, all right. Yes. So he yeah. he was already because here he's. I mean, he's got a little bit of a wiseacre mouth to him. God, that's the most, like, grandpa thing I've ever said. Like, that boy's got a, a bit of a wiseacre mouth. <laughs> I better watch it, you smart aleck. Um, um, but, yeah, but, but no, like, he's, I mean, it's that, for it's, mid-2000s, he's, like, a slightly meaner Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's like Taskmaster a little bit, who I love, but, like, Taskmaster without any interesting powers to him, mm-hmm. without that weird dissonance. Well, and he's filling the, like, in here... He's literally replicating Arcade's role from the Brian K. Vaughn era of X-Men of, right, hey, we're going to take all like these we read mutants. These co- we just read these comics. And we read this exact <laughs> like, storyline. We read this exact yeah. storyline with BKV where they take the mutants, they capture the X-Men, they bring them to Krakoa, and then they televise, you know, this uh, this haunt or whatever. And Spider-Man gets caught up in it because he's dating Kitty Pride. That's all this story is. Deadpool's leading the Reavers, which is a connection to Australian Outback X-Men. And it's like... I, it's the only interesting thing is again like how little this comic tries to do it's super bizarre how how and it's four, le- how disinterested issues. it is in in even like <laughs> trying to do something with deadpool it's it's a bummer yeah. you know it's four issues long too and it probably could be one that's mm-hmm. the other like interesting part about it um i mean you know i i like there, there's like we said the idea of kitty pride and peter parker dating is interesting and it starts out with like kitty pride is she has her own little costume that is separate from the X-Men that she puts on when she wants to fight crime with That's a Spider-Man, good touch. That's a really good which touch. Is, which is fun. Like, she wants something of her own. She's not an X-Men when she's out with him. And she's, you know, her... And I do, like... Because I was thinking of, like, Bag, or, um, Bendis' villains and how, like, they're very rarely... I, I don't know. 
they're not as interesting as their 616 like we said um i do like when he does like buffoonish villains i mean they all have the same voice like every buffoon villain he has is kind of the same character copy and pasted yeah um but i do like the running joke of shocker over and over shocker is his like the butt of his joke for this entire run yeah and like they run into him for like the fourth time and he's just a totally incompetent impotent hero here or a villain and that that joke that joke kind of works on me. I did, I actually that is, and we've talked about this too. But like when Omega Red shows up in the in the mm-hmm. Silver Sable, like that's he Bendis will often kick off an issue with like Spider Man stopping a random villain and stopping Omega Red. That part's actually quite fun because it's this mm-hmm. ultimate version of a character, and it's like it's funny because when he has less space to roll, he actually does more interesting things. Like Ome- the Ultimate Omega Red is like slightly different, and he's got an like you said, he's kind of got the same villain voice for a lot of these guys. Um, yeah, but they're all those... kind of like Queens wiseacres. You know? Yeah, they got the smart mouth. <laughs> so many wiseacres running around. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it is that thing of like he's he has a, does a good job in ten pages, but then over the course of four issues, seemingly runs out of just anything. He's super. It's not like it's not like he can't do it. He's just not doesn't seem to be interested. You know, it just it feels phoned in in a way. I think this era of Ultimate Spider Man these these run again post like uh, Gwen, where it's just like we're just kind of doing things by the number again with the exception of the kitty stuff which is new and additive it's like what about this it feels new aside from like oh ultimate cameo want to see the ultimate version of deadpool you'll regret that you did ultimate because <laughs> it's gonna let vulture, you down who's the same as mainline vulture it this this whole arc that we read ended with like next issue ultimate scorpion and i was just like okay well is it just gonna be <laughs> 616 scorpion and just i do like, remember that being interesting in the moment to see like oh, that's cool, they're going to bring in all these other characters that I had vague notions of, you know what I mean? Uh, so when mm-hmm. you're reading it the first time, I could definitely see some appeal to be like, oh, sweet, Ultimate Vulture, he's here, now he's in this world. Ultimate Scorpion, cool, what are they going to do with him? Um, but I just feel like the answers are often very disappointing uh, yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, well, what? why are they brought into this? I, I will say, I didn't, I'm being critical, but like reading these issues, again, it's breezy, it's easy. There's Half some fun moments. Eleven issues, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like eighty-six to ninety-six. Like, it's I still like reading Bendis's Teen Spider-Man. You know, like that. That is an easy thing and a comfortable thing to do. The issue I actually dislike, like actively dislike, is Ultimate Spider-Man Annual Number Two, which I think mm-hmm. is probably the worst Ultimate Spider-Man issue that we've read. I, I will say. I, I think it is an oh, absolutely. I mean, it didn't disaster. It didn't. Uh, really, it did not. Uh, it didn't like set off any alarms for me. It was kind of dull, but I, I actually kind of liked a few touches here, which mm-hmm. is that um, at the beginning, uh, Peter like he beats up some villain. I can't remember who it is. It, oh, it's the Shocker. It's the Shocker here, and uh, and he's like, "How did you get out of jail? I've arrested you, or like you know, I beat you up and put you sent you to the police four times." And Foggy Nelson is there, and is like, "Well, you can't just keep tying them to flagpoles and thinking that like." the justice system will be able to deal with them properly. Like we need witnesses. Yeah. And you know, just that like call out of that trope of leaving a criminal dangling upside down with a note is, uh, is not often enough for the police to prosecute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this is, we, we saw this with the, um, Gene DeWolf is like secretly working for Kingpin and Kingpin set Spider-Man to fight, um, what's his name? Hammerhead. And this is kind of part two of that where he does the same exact thing, except the kangaroo. Yeah. He sends Spider-Man to fight the kangaroo. Punisher's there. Daredevil's there. Moon Knight's there. It's very, very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, except that at the end, Gene DeWolf gets killed by the Punisher, and it turns out... It, I mean, it's basically Spider-Man realizes he's been duped, and the world's more complicated than he thinks, and it's a, it's a rehash of stuff we've seen. I don't know. I didn't think it was a disaster, but it was kind of treading the same water 
uh, of the same stuff we've been seeing. I think the things that really bother past. me about it, um, hmm. one, first off, we should say, like, it's not Mark Bagley, it's Mark Brooks on art, who I actually quite mm-hmm. like in general. Um, yeah, but I the art looked fine. Yeah. I dislike a lot uh, his voice. Bendis, so he's literally writing Marvel's Daredevil in Earth 616 at this point. And his Daredevil with Alex Maleev is a series that I have great affinity for, really loved it. When he writes Daredevil in Ultimate, it's like he doesn't want to do his real Daredevil, so he makes mm-hmm. him just the worst. He's an absolute jerk to the point it doesn't get the attention, but to me it's like, you know how you see I'm the goddamn Batman from Frank Miller and Jim mm-hmm. Lee every yeah. two months yeah. in a meme, right? That's his Daredevil voice is like, shut up, you idiot. Shut up. You're an idiot. You're so <laughs> dumb. Get out of here, kid. Yeah. It's this big, gruff, overbearing jerk, and I... While I don't mind like establishing the dynamic of real adult doing this versus teenage Peter Parker, because in 616, they're on more even terms. They have a relationship and a legacy together where they're more like friends. In Ultimate, I don't mind that idea, but Bendis is it's just so heavy-handed and obnoxious, and it makes Daredevil completely unlikable. I mean, there's there's he is just like absolutely a jerk and the worst, and he's also just like consistently wrong. So I feel like he absolutely he goes so far over the edge on trying to make his Daredevil slightly different than whatever the heck he's doing in 616 that it just completely like ruins the character and any interesting dynamic he might have with Spider-Man. So I think that sucks. I think he brings in Moon Knight again for like no good reason. No like reason. Moon Knight, yeah. it's just like, well, he's here and here's the littlest bit of information. Yeah, it's about like here's his four deal. pages filling his backstory out in like his whole deal but it's like it's not enough if you don't know who moon knight is this is not enough to hold on to to feel anything about the character and if mm-hmm. you do it's disappointing because it's not enough to feel unique and interesting right like yeah. I, I vaguely like the idea of like he has a a mental space where all of his personalities like hang out and talk and that visual representation that's fun enough yeah but like that doesn't get any play here i just think uh leaving marvel street the Mar- the ultimate marvel street to Bendis in the pages of Spider-Man was a mistake. I think that was a a pretty big mistake because everyone gets caught up in the Spider-Man world and Spider-Man Street is not the same as what we think of when we think of like the slightly grimmer, grittier, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Hell's Kitchen area, Marvel Defenders, Hell's Kitchen stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I think that it just all comes across so disappointing and uninteresting. Um, it just it works so poorly for me. And I the thing that really sets it apart, too, is because all that can be, you could say, like, okay, there's other examples of stories that don't work or character introductions that don't work. Obviously, we just talked about Deadpool, and, like, we have nothing to say about it because it's super boring. Um, but this one especially, like, the pacing of this comic is a train wreck. Like, there's so many jumps in chronology where there's mm-hmm. the only things that <clears throat> indicates, like, like suddenly there will be a little, like, now in the corner. Like, and you didn't, it's like, why are we flashbacking again? It's just like the why pacing are we time on this jumping? thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The time jumping and the pacing, it's a disaster. I think it's a train wreck to read. Um, this comic sucks. <laughs> I really dislike this comic. <laughs> this one really ticked you off. Huh? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really, I, I don't, I don't feel as strongly, but I don't, I don't disagree that it's, there's not really much to recommend it. Um, yeah. I think, I think it was pretty forgettable. I mean, like you when said, the last I time read... we recommended a Spider-Man comic. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. am I wrong I mean, the, in saying like we're time... just in an absolute lull? No, no. I think I think you're totally right. Um, I mean, you know, it's 120. It's funny because it's like I feel like I'm in the defensive position where you were when I was feeling this way, like 30 issues in, and I was like, "Eh, this it, this runs okay." And you're like, "Well, it runs for 120 issues. Give him a break." <laughs> um, but like, yes, no. This is certainly, I think, the the pits of what we've seen. 
from the, the series, you know, even yeah. compared to my complaints earlier. Um, I, I think it, although, you know what, I, Bag- Bagley style has not like made me, uh, you know, it's something I used to talk about a lot. I haven't had a lot of those same similar, like, oh, like uncanny valley feelings about looking at like his character's faces. So either I'm used to it or he has just kind of like smoothed some of this out because it hasn't bothered me. Yeah. Although speaking of character faces freaking me out, <laughs> Ultimate X-Men slash Fantastic Four has somehow like Greg Land is somehow not the weirdest looking character artist that we, that we have this year yeah we do we get have, him um, on fantastic four but this is pascal ferry with mike which, carey writing yeah which is uh it's fine um and Stuart imminent does some of this which mm-hmm. looks pretty good um oh no that's the fantastic four annual no the um it's a split between brandon peterson and wait wait sorry we're mixing things up the mike carey issue is the fantastic four annual i'm talking about the ultimate fantastic four x-men thing that's written by aaron coletti Kal- Khalit and Joe Pekaski. What? With... I think you got your credits mixed up here. No, I'm looking at the, the wiki pages right now. Well, I just read the I'm issue. Looking... I'm pretty I'm sure Ultimate X-Men at... Fantastic Four was Mike Carey and Pascal Ferry. Nope, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the cover right now. The boy. Let's um... air out this debate. Yeah. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, yeah. Going into Marvel <laughs> Unlimited, Ultimate X-Men Fantastic Four, number because one, December one was... 2005. The first one was drawn by Dan... Panosian and Mark Brooks, and it looks fine. And then the second one is written, is drawn by Brandon Peterson. Those pages look fine. And then Eric Guyen. What issues did you read? I'm looking at Ultimate X Men Fantastic Four from 2005. Mike Carey, Pascal Ferry. Oh, did I read the wrong? <laughs> did you read a different I, year? I, there might I read be a different the volume. Ultimate Fantastic Four X Men Volume One Number One, but it's from 2008. The yeah, ones that, about the that's like, later the future. I was wondering, because I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here that we have not covered in the club. All right, well, you will have to tell me what happens here. <laughs> well, wait, what happens in yours? Does it spoil stuff? Kind of. There's a few things that jump ahead, like um, something to do with Liz Allen. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, that's Right, and I was like, is. oh, weird. This, we did, this is a Mad Thinker come... story. Oh, okay. So, All right, well, do you remember there was, a short, uh, ultimate, there was a short Ultimate Fantastic Four run written by Mike Carey? Not even a run. Yeah. There was like three issues yeah, yeah. where he did, uh, I guess, what is his version of the Mad Thinker? I don't even know if we connected yeah. these dots at the time. It, it's but the it's, one with um, that, that really cool art by the uh, Jai Lee. Is it Jai Lee? Yeah. Um, yeah. The woman breaks into the Baxter building and she has like a one-off yep. against yep. Reed, right? So she returns yep. in these two issues because she breaks into the X-Mansion at the behest of AIM, to steal Cerebro, okay? So the Mad Thinker and her android, who here is uh, Robbie, uh, Robbie the android, um, right, th- yeah. that's basically the gist of the story. It's like, she wants to steal Cerebro. That brings in both Fantastic Four and the X-Men in a two-issue spinoff. That is, I mean, it's it's quite inconsequential. I liked the Carrie issues of Fantastic Four that like featured her and debuted her a lot more than I liked these. I would say and you didn't even um, you didn't even really like those. I defended them, and you were like, "Yeah, yeah." No, I like fine. those better. Uh, I mean, the the hook of these, I suppose, is Kitty and Iceman get left behind in the X Mansion while the the X Men think they have something to go off and investigate, and uh, and then Wolverine just kind of happens to be hopping around. So it's those three taking on the Mad Thinker, which is a good little core X unit. Um, but other than that, I mean, I I actually I, I think for you to call out the art is actually. Even well, though you didn't read the right issues, is ironically pretty good because, like, so Pascal Ferry's taste is definitely an acquired, acquired taste here. Um, artistically, there are moments that I quite like. I would say, in terms of like, there are some moments of Wolverine just looking like 
way shaggier and kind of haggard than we than we get to see him in some other places, which I actually kind of appreciate stylistically. Um, but I don't love it, definitely. Although, I will say I definitely prefer some of the oddities and quirks here and just the, the cartoony style compared to Greg Land, which we're going to get in Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, so comparatively, okay. I do like it. But I, big picture, like, these are pretty passable for me. Um, and again, like, I like my carry a lot on, you know, Lucifer, on uh, Hellblazer, on X-Men Legacy. Like, if he gets the space to roll, he's quite good. Uh, when he comes in for these quick hits, like, mm, I don't I don't know. It's kind of a miss. It, it's a weird yeah. focus, too. Like, if you're going to do, again, it's like with, with Ultimate War, for example, the four-issue miniseries, even if you don't like it, you know what the point is, right? You're doing a big X-Men Ultimates crossover kind of thing. You got Magneto at the center of it. There's big implications. If you're going to do this two-issue X-Men Fantastic, it's a very small kind of quiet story to to do a special like this. You know, it's it's an odd choice, I would say. Yep, sounds sounds like quite a read. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I figured out what happened. So there, there's one. I mean, it's because they have all these different naming conventions. In 2005, they have Ultimate X-Men slash Fantastic Four and uh-huh. Ultimate Fantastic Four slash X-Men. Uh huh. And then in 2008, which we're going to read for episode 21, they have Ultimate X-Men slash Fantastic Four Annual number one. Mm-hmm. And they have Ultimate Fantastic Four slash X-Men Annual number one. And I read those. Uh, what did you think of those? I... Did you like them? Do we have something to look forward to? Uh, they're interesting ideas. Some of the worst, one-fourth of the art team here, because it's all split up between four different artists, one yeah. of them is the craziest, weirdest art we've ever seen from okay. Eric Guyon. So, okay, interesting. Um, but... Uh yeah, we'll we'll look forward to it. All right, so that's gonna take uh, us to the issue. I was that wondering. I, do I was think... like, we're not reading. It was. It's an ultimatum lead-in, basically, right? It's a prelude to ultimatum. Oh and yeah, I was no, like, wow, we're really that's way... we're really reading this ahead of time, huh? I actually was like, <laughs> should, I was should have sent off like, some warning bells. I would say if I hadn't recorded, if we're not recording this so close to when it's coming out, I would have been like, oh, maybe we should change the list because this clearly was a mistake that it's <laughs> this far back. Here. <laughs> like, we haven't read a lot of this yet. Yeah. All right. Well. Oh well. Um, that is but Ultimate why. Fantastic Four twenty seven. Through 32 we did read and mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. greg land and mark miller and i think you already said it uh the most interesting thing we read here because he's bringing big fresh new ideas yeah. even with greg land's art which irritates quite often um I, I think like this is a lot of fun and like yeah mark miller is doing something new here it's not just like rehashing 616 stuff it is brand new for the ultimate universe are you getting a little playing. are you getting a little nervous your voice cracked a little i just wondered if like maybe you're getting a little turned on by some of the greg land yeah it's uh, not it's not nervous um <laughs> oh uh getting a little sweaty no. getting a little hot no, and bothered. i definitely don't like his heart <laughs> <laughs> greg land confessions uh yeah no you're right uh wait where are you going <laughs> Sorry, I was just picking something up. Jeez Louise, he had to duck out of the frame. He was so embarrassed. That was incredible. Um, yeah, so so Miller and Land, I mean, they're they're doing the most interesting stories. I, I just by yeah. by leaps and bounds, um, and I quite appreciate it. Again, I really don't like Greg Land's artwork here. Um, I think this is something we've talked about where like he, it, he yeah. obviously there's a lot of Greg Land conversation that the world has had uh, you yeah. know, amongst comic fans. I would say I do still maintain that like when he does stuff that is untraceable that is unique to comics language you know for example marvel zombie stuff here with some of these close-ups yeah, on like all the worms coming out of a zombie's face he's yeah, a yeah. talented artist when he wants to be um yeah. i just think his character work and all of the women looking like blonde bombshell porn stars you know is i mean the, is a problem one the <laughs> thing is there were three pages and across it i was like that's three different sue storms 
Those are three different women, even though mm-hmm. it's just Sue Storm. Mm-hmm. And then you also start to recognize like the same exact f- pictures that he's lifting from. Like there's a point where I'm just like, oh, I've seen this woman's f- expression and face before. And it's across many different issues and many different women. Yeah. He's just lifting for the same like excited face. And it's yeah. really distracting. Right. And like you start to see like, oh, there's there's a few porn stars he used over and over again because that woman I'm seeing her all over the place. Right, like and <laughs> she's on my TV. She's on my computer. She's everywhere. She's in my dreams. Can't yeah. shake her. Yeah, no, it's 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 a shame, honestly, that this like if you if you could bring in Stuart Iman in for these issues, they would be. I would have a pretty effusive praise. I expect, yeah, because Miller yeah. is actually doing the best Fantastic Four like ide- ideas that we've had yet in the Ultimate Universe. I think like he's sure, bringing in yeah. the multiverse, he's bringing in he's bringing back the Marvel Zombie stuff in like really fun and surprising ways. Um well, like, let's talk about his each idea story, game's pretty I think, good. I think they're they're both worth digging into. The first one is President Thor and it's this like time traveling story where Reed finally decides that he needs to fix Ben, right? And the only way they're going to do that is to go back and stop the accident that created them. Right? Mm-hmm. And he like tons of fun ideas just in that and, and miller i've kind of um like uh not damned him what's the word criticized him <laughs> damned him for well, there, there are plenty his, of like, things to criticize sure yeah and but i've criticized like his sometimes he flits from idea to idea and it doesn't feel like he's invested in them it's just like he just wants to throw it out the page because it sounds cool i think no, he finds he a really good a balance here, yeah. here of like you don't want to think about the story too hard because it crumbles, right? The story with the, like, every person becomes a superhero on Earth. He's not doing Alan Moore's top ten, right? He's not digging into yeah, right, the, the implications right. of this society, right? But it's just a light enough touch, and he plays, spends just enough time that you go with it. Because the story's going to be over in an issue and a half. Yeah. And it's not really focused on that, but it's focused on enough. Like, I think he finds a good balance between, like, moving the story along without it being, like, frenetic. Um, because they go back in time... They do stop this from happening, and then what happens is that they are, I guess, able to co- contact the Skrulls, who mm-hmm. come to Earth. Thor becomes president, which is like a total aside. The whole arc is called President Thor, which I think is really funny because it's like it's not that focused on thing. him being president, it's but I not do, at all. <laughs> it's a, that's a good hook, though. It is a good hook, yeah, so you yeah, get why they do that's it. True. Yeah, you have like Thor. The front cover of the first one is Thor, like standing over the White House. Yeah. Um, and Reed Richards is vice president. And the Skrulls come to Earth. They give every human a pill that uh, unlocks their dormant superpowers, right? And yeah. Except for Ben Grimm, which is a really fun idea, right? He, like, is just handsome, normal human Ben Grimm. Mm-hmm. And him being the only person on Earth, which is silly, right? Like, obviously not every other human. That's one of these things. You yeah, don't but, think but about the it. metaphor works, but, like, nonetheless. Right, exactly, yeah. right? Like, Ben Ben is now normal, you know, unpowered, and everybody else is literally everyone um and uh and you know that that turns out to be like what saves him and he can defeat the scrolls who get their power from the other superhumans and they wipe out other people it's fun it like it's fun it works it just moves every piece fits together you know it feels like a nice little intricate puzzle and it all works together without being too complicated and there's a lot of fun ideas like i love the idea of um they never explain this or go into it but there's these strange like fourth dimensional spiders crawl around and you only can see them if you're a time traveler and they just like exist to smooth out problems with the time stream like time travelers who interfere that felt very doctor who to me i honestly like it's just like a like kind of a weird time travel sci-fi thing that yeah it doesn't get fleshed out super well um but it's just a it's another detail it's all of this conceptual stuff that i totally agree is very fun and very interesting it just makes me kind of like 
mad at the rest of the ultimate universe because it's like why aren't the rest of you trying these yeah. things why aren't the rest of you taking these chances and i will say too what like you, for a fantastic four book you know the thing that they do best is they adventure and they go on yeah. these missions that only they can and here at least miller feels like he's getting that right and the team becomes like okay if you're gonna forget their ages their ages don't matter if that's if that central tenant of the team holds true and for these types of stories it does and it's like okay this is how they can work and how they can fit in to the ultimate universe in a way where they're not the backup to the ultimates you know like that's boring that's not fun um but if they're the team that goes on these crazy time traveling multiverse missions that's interesting i like that team i'd follow them around you know and it, yeah it definitely works here hey it's zach here popping in from the future editor zach um, we are about to start talking about Grant Morrison a bunch, and Dave and I both misgendered them quite a bit. We kept using he, him, and Grant Morrison has recently come out as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns, and so apologies for this. Uh, we will try to be better in the future. Bye. Yeah, I agree. I, did, did it remind you of Morrison at all? I mean, Miller, I, I don't know. Do you know the, the history of Miller and Morrison? Like kind of oh, those no, the, backstories? They, yeah, because they're both... They're both Scottish, right? <laughs> They're both and, Scottish. I mean, so yeah, it, yeah. they they have a, a relationship where they work together in the 90s. I think Morrison kind of mentored Miller a bit. Um, and, like, they co-wrote, like, a Flash with DC. And then they had, like, a falling out at some point. I think probably entering, like, the 2000s, probably kind of as Miller was getting really big. But there's a lot of, like, Superman Red Sun, which is written by Mark Miller. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people who, who suppose and... and uh, suggest that that was really like Graham Morrison's work, essentially. Mm. Um, and yeah. so there, so there's a lot of shared influence and shared idea, certainly, between the two. I mean, I think typically because he's a titan in the industry, the assumption is like most ideas that, that you know, it's Miller taking from Morrison rather than vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, I, I have not read enough Morrison to, to really weigh in on this, but I was just reading this and, like, the little I have read of Morrison, I was like, I feel like he's doing a good Morrison imitation here, right? Like where these big lofty ideas in his execution. Well, and everyone having superpowers, that's a JLA thing. You know, you mentioned top 10. Those are good touch points there. Um, But I I was thinking like Grant Morrison in the ultimate universe, right? Like talk about someone who use who likes to come into the mainstream universes and really mix things up. Yeah. Right. Let alone the ultimate, like it just made me wish, you know, he had done more Marvel work because he's done, he does barely, he did barely anything except the X-Men, right? That's really his only, uh, Marvel Boy, and yeah, uh, right, yeah. he does a Fantastic Four mini, which is pretty interesting. But, I mean, it, you yeah, know, that's yeah. a really interesting point is, like, what's the kind of creator that you want in the Marvel Ultimate Universe? So I actually, uh, I was just on a podcast where um, the guy asked me, like, you know, do you think, or somebody asked in the YouTube comments, basically, like, do you think Donny Cates will take over and start a new Marvel Ultimate line? Like, do you think that could be coming? And obviously, you and I have talked about this in the past, where it's like, my idea, my pitch has always been, like, reboot the thing every five ten years with new creators i think that'd be super cool but it does raise yeah. the question it's like well who is the best fit for the ultimate universe somebody who is is popular and has you know a lot of fans or is it like a mix and kind of a curated team of people who just are willing to do the wildest stuff and i feel like a lot of times yeah. there's going to be overlap you know like kate's as a creator takes huge swings with his work whether you're a fan yeah. of it or not yeah, yeah. i think that type of style and attitude could work quite well in an ultimate universe. I think Tom Taylor's another one that gets talked in about in this discussion where it's like, you know, do you have a vision for what the universe can be that is different than what it used to be? Grant Morrison prob- almost certainly would have been a cool fit. I think a lot of people yeah. would like, yeah, yeah. you know, the world according to Morrison. But that said, 
he kind of gets to or he kind of does that with DC in yeah. his way yeah. where like there's a Morrison DC verse um so totally. I kind of feel like he probably kind of did his thing over a long period of time over a stretch of a time um but yeah it's interesting like if you we don't have to have this conversation right now but if you if you were having a draft for like all right you can pick anybody who do you want to reboot the ultimate universe um, and really have them kind of lead the charge, you know, you'd have certain names coming up a lot. The like Cates, Hickman, Taylor, um, I don't know. Who else? Who else would you have? I, w- I want to Daniel pick Warren more Johnson. interesting creators. That's who all I want Daniel to Warren see. Johnson. Get I mean, I just want to see him great. do more comics, period. More Marvel. Yeah, we need, to, we need to nominate some women as well because, like, that's that's a big missing piece, obviously, in all these creative lineups, too, is, like, it's very yeah, dude-centric. Who, who's like a, a I mean, I love Kelly a... Thompson. We were talking about her before the podcast. As a writer, yeah, she, I think she, she had does, good like, ideas. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I know her as doing like big weird swings or if I think of her more as like doing very good solid work with whatever she has, but not and very like... good character work, I would say. Although as well. she did really reinv- I mean, she's kind of the beginning of reinventing Captain Marvel for the uh the modern. No, you're thinking of Kelly Sue DeConnick. I am. Damn, I mixed the two of them up. <laughs> Which all we the had time. the exact same conversation before, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, but anyway. the conversation for another time. Maybe uh, yeah, listeners, will... if you are if you have thoughts on who do you want to see rebooting the alternate universe or a handful of creators, definitely let us know at mymarvelthisyear at gmail.com. Sure. You can reach out at mymarvelthisyear on social, uh, or if you are in the Slack, of course, in the Ultimate Year channel, which you can join by going to uh, patreon.com slash mymarvelthisyear. That would be Wait, greatly appreciated. I, I do have one I have one answer here, because my, my idea, you know, because the way that they kind of frame the Marvel, the Ultimate Marvel Universe this time is way more like science-based than anything else right yeah. they really hone in on yeah. the science for this one and i think having a more magic leaning one instead of sci-fi would be fun so marjorie lou oh lou being in there yeah that'd be an exciting a, pick marjorie lou on a doctor space. strange well i never thought of that until you just said it that would be awesome yeah, yeah, yeah. love to check that out absolutely okay so the zombie the zombie stuff in fantastic four is also just like we've talked about it it's a killer idea it just like it goes and obviously and goes, it had legs it, right it's a, it's it a works, big thing yeah, that it makes a lot of money right for here, marvel and it keeps going. And, like, I was thinking, like, man, I, the MCU probably wouldn't do it. Although they are going to do a Deadpool 3, and they said it's going to be rated R. Well, they're doing but a like, what if. They've already announced they're doing a what if Marvel Zombies kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Because I was just like, man, they would make all the money in the world if they did an R-rated Marvel Zombies. And then I was like, well, do I actually want that? Or is that some kind of just, like, gross cynical, you know, I just want to see the, like, blood and guts. I, I like them but... bringing it to an animated what if series. I'm yeah. glad it's not a full-fledged movie i i think you know i i yeah. would not necessarily be into that um but i hear what you're saying because yeah absolutely it's, this thing has appeals and it, it has yeah. legs and and i think too like it i feel like it often gets it gets lost that it's like it's not just the concept and like mm-hmm. it's not just like well people will buy anything with zombies it's like these are actually like surprisingly good like the quality are, of the story yeah. surpasses kind of what it needs to be it's kind of like the robert kirkman walking dead thing where it's like whether you love it or not it's not just the spectacle of zombies getting killed it's like these comics and the narrative like emotion and and everything that gets put into it it's actually better than the standard like that's why it sticks out you know it's not literally just like oh genre surpasses its presence yeah or it surpasses its premise excuse me yeah yeah agree um i i don't know if there's anything super specific i want to say again i already said greg land does I, he fits better on a zombie book than he does on a regular. He does very good adventure. zombies. He does good scrolls. He does a great Doctor Doom. Yeah, I love his Doctor yeah. Doom here. Like, Same. Um, and this is the first time Doctor Doom has sounded has been cool in the Ultimate Universe. Oh my like, gosh, yes. I didn't. I didn't hate him before, but him tricking, not even tricking, like doing this bargain with Reed of like I'll save Johnny, 
but only if we swap bodies and I get to, like, take over your body and take over your life because I know how much it will kill you Yeah. for, like, you to see me have everything that you have. Right? Yeah. And, like, and he's like, yeah, you can have Latveria. It's a great country. I made it rich, but, uh, you know, I know that's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to really bring you any comfort. Um, very good. And he sacrifices himself at the end here because he doesn't want Reed to get the, uh, the glory of being, um, the one who, like, saves from this, like, Cthulhu monster thing. So he throws himself into the zombie universe, which I don't remember. I've read I didn't remember first, that either. I, I admit, I've read yeah. the first couple trades of Marvel Zombies. I don't remember the ultimate Doctor Doom being in there, but maybe he pops up at some point. I, I do need to do a, a reread. Maybe we can do a Zombies. We'll have to do a Zombies spinoff. That, I think, yeah, that might be a fun post-My Ultimate Year. Uh, we can we can maybe do that. The the um, legacy of the ultimate universe that would actually be that'd be a good one for sure. Um, because there's some other we could do some stuff with like Miles and stuff too. But yeah, this this and if you told me going into this too, like yeah, Mark Miller writes the best Doctor Doom for the first six years of the Ultimate Universe. I'd I'd been a little surprised, but it's a hundred percent true, right? This is the only time in the Marvel Ultimate Universe so far I have liked this version of Doctor Doom, who again in six one six is just like straight up my favorite character. Uh, so so props to them for getting that voice finally in a position where it's like, oh, thank goodness, like, somebody knows what to do with this character. You know, it's kind of funny because not too long after this, uh, Miller and Brian Hitch take over 616 Fantastic Four for mm-hmm. a, uh, I don't remember exactly how many issues, probably in the 12 to 20 range. Uh, it's the run that, like, I think immediately precedes Hickman taking over, actually. Um, and it's it's weird. It's like they don't, it doesn't work nearly as well as uh, as the Ultimate stuff where Miller clearly has just the full freedom to be like big weird ideas let's go for it you know it's interesting because i I feel like the ultimate universe fits miller specifically as a creator in such a way that um that even six never quite did yeah well i i I wonder how he'd work in the normal 616 because there he's restricted by like continuity and editorial being like well don't mix us don't mess up things too bad. But well, and the, and the way he gets around good. that with some of his most notable work is Old Man Logan, right? It's like, okay, right, it's a exactly. future, it's a yeah. what if. Um, I mean, yeah. Enemy of the State, Wolverine stuff is set in continuity, so that, that's an example where it does have to fit, and those stories are, are pretty well regarded as well. Um, but it's, it is, yeah, it's that thing of like, as a as setting up an Ultimate Universe, when you're thinking about the creators you want to be in on it, you do have to think too, like, who's, who's going to benefit the most from lifting those restrictions? And that's a tough question to answer. I think a lot of times, but Miller definitely, yeah, you know, because I don't know. I mean, is there, is there, I don't know that there's much Miller after this point. This is the last fantastic four issue he does. And then he kind of does a little bit of an ultimate cycle, you know, so mm-hmm. we'll get into him bouncing in and around of ultimates, but he definitely, his hand is less present in the universe from this point forward beyond obviously the core ultimate stuff, which he takes a yeah. break from. Like, I think he takes a break and then he comes back later. I think is how it works. Yeah. yeah I don't think I've read any ultimates past this. Maybe. So, We'll see. We'll see when we get there. Have you not All read right, so, Ultimates Volume Three? I think maybe we talked about this. I I can't remember it, which means I I remember that's it, Jeff Loeb, and that's read. yeah that that often goes on worst comics of all time lists. So yeah, I mean I I do remember how uh, unless that's the ultimatum stuff that I'm remembering. <laughs> um, I think it kind of gets lumped in with that. Uh, okay, well then maybe it's all mixed <laughs> together. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna end with uh, what I think is a pretty unremarkable issue: Fantastic Four Ultimate Annual Number Two. Now this is mislabeled in the uh, in the guide. I do want to say just just for your own reference, if you want to change. Oh, it is. Yeah, it should be number two, not number one. All right, I'll I'll fix it because we already read the Inhumans one. But yeah, so this is number two, and we do actually get uh, Speak of the Devil, Stuart Imanen, doing Mm -hmm. art on this, which I I do quite enjoy. I will say, good, yeah, yeah. Uh, But content wise, it it feels like a step back from where we just were. 
I just don't know what uh, why I care about Mole Man. I don't care about him, and it doesn't give me much reason to. And like, have you read Unbeatable care- Squirrel Girl Volume Two, Issues Nine and Ten? I have not. No. Check them out. You'll care about right. Ultimate. You'll care about Mole Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like they don't give much reason here, and like they they try to give him a backstory, but his backstory is kind of a joke. You know, it's it's one, it's not that interesting, and then two, they undercut it by being like, "Yay, he dresses in women's clothing," which is like it's not really that funny of a joke. Kind of, um, it's just mean spirited, I find, if yeah. not downright offensive, you know. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually that's how I feel like with Mole Man. It's just like, yeah, he's very ugly and um, he's very uh, unappealing and gross, and uh, isn't that gross? And that's like all there is to Mole Man. He's smart, mm-hmm. but he's gross. And mm-hmm. uh, the the comic's gonna also dig in. You know, it's not like just that he's gross and other people think he's gross. It's that he's gross, and the comic is like reinforcing that. Yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't engender empathy or like you know because the thing you might think it would do is be like look at this sad hit kind of almost like he's the Grinch you know like the the yeah. Jim Carrey Grinch where they're like hey let's give a sad backstory to this character that you already accepted was the villain of the story um it's almost like that you know but it's, it's yeah, all just kind even, of mean-spirited you know, and you, doesn't succeed do some compare and contrast with like him and Ben Grimm right like yeah sure similar such although I don't know if he was just born that way or if this was an ex- I think he's just born that way um looking like I mean the interesting thing with Mole Man to me is like when you get the post-villain cycle where it's like kind of an understanding and like kind of an alliance where he's like i rule this subterranea maybe we need to work together to get something else out of here you know that that sort of stuff becomes more interesting as opposed to just oh popping out of the ground again with a big monster better stop him you know that stuff yeah does yeah. not work i mean super he, well. he works in uh he works well and like I, I think there's a reason we haven't read him in mime Roll this year after his first appearance in number one because there's not that much to him right he's kind of a fun he's like a fun silver age villain but like I yeah I, I mean like you said squirrel girl whatever the post villain I'm sure there's stuff that becomes interesting well and I feel like this him, loses but... too the thing that actually did make him a little different in the first few issues of Fantastic Four Ultimate Fantastic Four which was you know he did live in the world as a as a scientist in the Baxter building for some time and I feel like if you lean into that element of him like starting his own lab or whatever under like if he, if he has you know mole man enterprises laboratories underneath the earth and he's exchanging things and making deals and i'm just saying there's different directions you can take this that actually lean into like the background you've established as opposed to well let's give him a deeper sadder origin like we already got the details we needed in that first arc right like yeah. you know everything about you need to know about him from that um, and then this doesn't really do anything new. So I, both these annuals are weird, honestly, like, cause the first one is at least like, well, let's introduce the inhumans, right? So you get some Jiley art introducing inhumans again in like exactly the same way you would expect them to be. And then this one is like, why are we doing an, a, a second annual about the mole man? I don't know. My, all, all the Mike Carey written stuff is just like, <laughs> why is this the focus? Like it, all these pitches it's, are just weird. Yeah. Me, you yeah. know, these are, these are just his pet pet projects that he really wants to focus on but they're very but they're very just insular like very standard fantastic four stuff whereas when we talk about the miller stuff that we're excited about it's like have them adventure have them do something interesting because even in the mole man stuff it's not like they're adventuring in subterranea it's not like they're learning new things it's just the same little mole man cave the whole time you know yeah yeah there's dinosaurs or like underground creatures or whatever but it didn't did not grab me i read this two hours ago and i don't even really remember how it concludes yeah yeah (laughs) so all right i think that's gonna do it for us that is the my ultimate year this is episode what say 15 15 uh yeah that's great uh i think we are we're almost halfway through 
the entire we've only got 34 episodes planned so i'm, I'm pretty interested in next episode because to... episode yeah. 16 we're going to get a second ultimates annual which always tend to be interesting um but then ultimate power number one to nine which is a odd unique uh story in the ultimate universe i'm actually pretty curious to explore that one um, I think it's J. Michael Straczynski doing some weird Squadron it, Supreme stuff. It's created by, yeah, it's Brian Michael Bendis, J. Michael Straczynski, Jeff Loeb, and Greg Land created. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique one in the Ultimate Space. I'm Greg interested Land, in revisiting. man, getting so much, it's so crazy to me. I mean, like, still getting a lot of work, you know? <laughs> dude uh, dude must be timely. Dude makes his deadlines and whatnot, you know? There's there's a lot of value yeah. in that in the comics world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all right, cool. So yeah, this has been episode uh, 15. If you like the show, please consider going on over to patreon.com slash mymarvelishyear um, or rating and reviewing on the My Ultimate Year feed. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. He's Zach. You can find him online at My Marvelous Year. Music for the show. Dang it, did it again. Uh, by Divine Right does our amazing theme song. Check mm-hmm. them out there on Spotify or wherever you get your tunes. Come listen to My Marvelous Year. It's good. We're about it to is hit good. 1990. And yeah. uh, I think we're doing really good work over there, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm excited about what we're about to start reading. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and as always, Multimate, we'll s- Multimate. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the worst. Have a have a Multimate year? Sure. Okay. I like just saying Multimate twice, but you do. You do Multimate, Multimate? Yeah. That's ultimate, how we sign ultimate. off? Okay. Multimate, okay. Multimate. Bye. I got it.